As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. We roughly hit about anywhere from 70 to 90% of our overall water bill that we get by submetering. So that's how we increase profitability because we reduce our expenses from the water and sewer, which is probably the number one biggest expense when it comes to running a property. How great would it be to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial buildings? Well, now you can with Building Bits. It's not a REIT or a fund. Building Bits is a new platform for non-accredited investors where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. You can now invest in the same quality assets, which have previously only been available to institutions and wealthy individuals. Once you choose your building on BuildingBits.com, you can invest as little as $500 and receive your share of the rents while Building Bits' team of real estate pros handles all the management aspects of the building. For the first time, the big corporations in America can actually start paying you. And when the building is sold in the future, the potential appreciation is redistributed to everyone so you don't just get the rental income, but also share in the upside. Best of all, since these securities are SEC qualified, they are freely tradable immediately. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of their current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Ryan Groney. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I am doing great as well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Ryan. He owns a 75-space community in North Carolina. And when I say space, I guess I should clarify a mobile home park space. Is that correct? Mobile home park space? Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Lot space. Lot space. Got it. Okay. He is also a full-time mobile home park owner and operator. He's honed his skills over the last three years while working full-time in finance. He also, in addition to owning a 75-space community, he oversees eight parks spread across 500 spaces. He is currently based in Cleveland, Ohio. With that being said, Ryan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. So a little bit about my background. I started in finance about six years ago. I was working 
out of corporate finance in Cincinnati, where you are. And I actually started going to the best ever real estate meeting in Cincinnati. And I am now focused on mobile home parks full time. So looking to grow my portfolio. I own one personally. And then I actually work for Buckeye Communities, which as the director of operations, like Joe mentioned, I am overseeing eight parks spread across about 500 lots in Ohio. Let's talk about the one personally. And then let's talk about your role as the manager for the 500. How long ago did you buy the 75 space community? Me and a couple other partners purchased that community. Close date was December of 2018. So the process was relatively drawn out and long. We had that thing under contract since May of last year. So it was a very drawn out process. And then I have a few other deals in the pipeline as well that are set to close actually next month. So it took six months to close the deal after you had it under contract? Yes. It was a number of issues during diligence that we discovered that we're now addressing. And we got some contract negotiations done to meet our needs in order for the seller. We actually got seller financing on it as well. That was kind of one of the needs. And it was a good opportunity, even though it was a a drawn out process for sure. How'd you meet your business partners in the deal? My business partners, I met kind of like through a loose network of people. We're all kind of a part of like an online group. There's other affiliations out there, like the best ever group on Facebook. We're actually, we're all a part of that. And then we're a part of a few other groups. And I'd known them over the years and we were both kind of chasing the same deal. So we were like, hey, why don't we partner up? It's kind of our first mobile home park together. And some of them, it was their first park and they all had real estate experience whether it be from apartments, hotels, or other asset classes. So good team. And we're now, I guess, 40 days into ownership and uh, everything's running smoothly. And what's your role compared to their role? My role in the group is the asset manager. So I am in charge of our on-site manager. And that is the same kind of role that I play on a daily basis as my role of director of operations. We have on-site managers that oversee the day-to-day for our communities. And they sometimes live on site or they live about five, 10 minutes away. And their job is to do anything from collections, basically making sure that the community is running smoothly. There's no trash around and just daily stuff that a property management company would do on the multifamily side. Okay. So your role is the asset manager. And did I hear you correctly? Uh, You have two other partners in that deal? We have four other partners on the so there's five of us. So there's five total, not necessarily ideal at times, but we all work together pretty well. And I think we're looking to buy some other communities together as well. Okay. So So your role is asset manager. What are the other roles that individuals have? We have somebody that's the CEO, and then we have the person that's a CFO, and then we have our sales and leasing person. So we have about five, four different roles that sometimes somebody is not as clear as what their role is because in real estate, sometimes you're doing multiple things. So we distinguish what those roles are, and we actually have it all in our operating agreement. We're not, uh, we stick to that, but sometimes things happen and people step in when they need to. The operating agreement is really just there in case anybody wants to get out or Mm -hmm. if something goes wrong. Everything has worked out great and we haven't needed to refer back to the operating agreement. We just have that in case something goes bad. And with that type of structure, when you've got five total people or five other people? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Five five total people, including myself. Okay, got it. Cool. Uh, with that, is it structured everyone gets 20% or how do you structure that type of agreement? We structured it basically whatever capital you brought to the deal was kind of your equity share. So let's say, for example, if 
we needed $100,000 and I brought in 25,000, I would get 25% of the deal. And then at the end of the day, any cash flow that comes from the property, I'm then going to get 25%. And then at exit, whatever the sale price is, I'm getting 25%. So it's just a straight joint venture. And then we have our separate entities as well, just legal standpoint. But that is the basic high level structure view of how we did that. Okay. So if, for example, if, if you brought $10,000 and the equity raise is 100, then you'd get 10% of the entity. So the assumption on that structure is that everyone has an equal responsibility after you close. So there's not one responsibility that's more important than another. Correct. Okay. I'm with you. You mentioned sales and leasing as one responsibility. Educate me on why sales and leasing is a responsibility of a general partner and not the on-site team. We have about 20 vacant spaces. And most of the time in this business, the on-site manager is not necessarily as well-versed in sales and leasing. And there's a lot of leads that come in that need to be handled. And most of the time, they're not always the best leads. So we have a team that is working with other individuals because we, in the mobile home business, you have to bring in the homes. So unlike owning an apartment where the structure is already there, we have to bring in the homes from whether we buy new ones, buy outside ones, we then have to bring them in and then we have to fill them with new prospective tenants. So our sales and leasing team, mainly sales and finding, I guess I should clarify it. It's more of a, the homes, the new homes and used homes. So they're responsible for finding used homes to bring into the community. And then they are also screening new tenants, screening new applicants, and making sure all they're having their leases and stuff like that. So we do utilize the on-site manager to show the homes and schedule the showings and stuff like that. But our team kind of pre-qualifies people and then we send them to the property when the manager is there. So therefore, they can show the home and they can still experience the home, but then we handle all the stuff offsite in regards to sales and leasing and working out different terms, whether it be we can accept this much or this much. The mobile home business is not necessarily always the cleanest sometimes when it comes to selling homes, because at the end of the day, we don't want a renter in there. We want a homeowner. So we are trying to... And why to, is that? Because the advantage of the mobile home park business versus owning apartments is that having a homeowner is more invested in the community. Therefore, the turnover is lower. And then therefore also the home, most of the time, they're not going to be able to actually move it just because of the fact that it costs between four and $7,000 to actually move the home. And most of the tenants, since we are in affordable housing, normally don't have that. So what ends up actually happening is they either sell it to another qualified applicant that wants to move into the community or they sell it back to us. And then we go on and sell it to a new tenant or we may rent it for a little bit. But as we say, Today's renter is tomorrow's buyer, and that's really the motto that we like to stick by. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the model that we like. We like for people to own their own home, and then we own the dirt, and they rent the dirt from us. So essentially, a parking lot with utilities, but a little bit more complicated than that once you get into it. So putting aside the administrative work, would it be more profitable, just purely numbers and cents, to have all the mobile homes owned by you all, but they're renting the space and they have some sort of contract to purchase that mobile home from you. That way you're double dipping. Whereas in the other scenario, if they own the home, 
then you're not getting income from the actual home itself. You're just getting lot rent. Yes. It's kind of like a lease option to purchase or like a rent to own. Is that kind of what you're hinting at? Yeah. So this, so this business there is with the safe act from 2009, 2008 to Dodd-Frankville. Now I'm not a legal expert, so don't quote me on this, but Ohio is really strict on not allowing disguised mortgages per se. So therefore rent to own in the mobile home park business. Some people still do it. Some people don't. There's a thing called a rent credit. Essentially what it is, is in essence, yeah, it's kind of like a lease option, but it's not the same thing. So it's like if you have a rewards program with Southwest, you earn up all these rewards. Yeah, they're kind of imaginary. So the renter still rents from us, but there's three different documents. They're renting the space. And then there's an agreement that their lot rent will then go towards a purchase of any home in the community. They don't have to purchase a home in the community at the end of whether it be five years, three years, whatever the agreement is. It's just the fact that they can then use those credits because they've earned them up over a period of time and then purchase the home. So we still own the home and own the title. So they're technically, I guess, still renters in the bank's eyes and an investor's eyes, but they're on their progress towards home ownership. So that is kind of the industry standard in terms of how to do that type of thing after the 2008 Safe Act law where you have to be Safe Act licensed and have a mortgage license and all that good stuff. And it costs a lot of money to do that. And mm-hmm. we don't think it's beneficial to go that route. One, because it costs a ton of money and there's a ton of paperwork and the rent credit program works perfectly fine. And you're always gonna have rentals in this business And that's okay. As long as you're okay with that, this business is still a great business to be in. As an asset manager of eight parks that spread across 500 spaces, what are some things that you've learned since you've been doing the asset management of that many parks? One thing I've learned is really time management and a lot more people skills because I'm basically managing the manager. And then obviously there's other budget related stuff that I'm overseeing because we have to hit our collection goals. We have from renters and we have all kinds of different stuff. But the most important thing that I've really learned is some people skills, how to handle people in different situations, what actually motivates people from a managerial standpoint, because I have never managed that many people, even in my corporate career, I was in charge of nobody there. So I had to really learn that quickly. And your podcast has definitely helped over the years, helping me learn different ways and different tactics on how to manage people. Because at the end of the day, those managers are the biggest key in this business. And they're your biggest friend or your biggest enemy because they're going to make your life easier or not. Mm-hmm. Because they help with collections. They help with kind of everything from a community standpoint. And then if we have a good manager in there, my life is easier. If we don't, I have some heartburn. So therefore, we may have to change a manager. And over my time period, we've had to change managers. And the transition period is a little hard, but sometimes you can find somebody within the community and hire them. What's a challenging circumstance that's come up as it relates to handling people on site and your work with them? When managers are friends with people that haven't paid. So that's kind of a hard conversation sometimes, or if they even have relatives like a daughter, a son, a cousin, a brother that lives in the community that hasn't paid rent. And we understand we're in the affordable housing business, but most of the time we give people the benefit of the doubt, but if they take advantage of us or if they're not communicative, we really enforce the no pay, no stay mentality. So 
for a manager to have to post a three-day and then an eviction notice, that becomes really surreal to them. And they try to do what they can to work with those people. So that's kind of probably been the biggest hurdle and trouble that I've dealt with in dealing with the manager sometimes is that sometimes they don't want to do it because they have family members and stuff like that. It makes you very real and becomes behind the computer screen type of business very quickly. If you go sit in one of these parks, you understand people really do live paycheck to paycheck. And we try to work with them as much as possible. And we are the last really place for people to live that's non-subsidized housing. How do you walk that line? Do you have a firm, if you don't pay by this day, then we're going to do the eviction process? Or is there something else that you go off of? Ohio is like anybody. Rent's due on the first, late on the sixth. So we enforce late fees as much as possible. And then we post three-day notices. And then after the three days, they have whatever the county dictates. If they reach out to us and say, hey, maybe I've lost a job or an expense came up, here's my payment plan that I'm going to get back on track and I'm going to make these payments. And most of the time we're willing to work with people. And if they stay by their payment plan and they show an effort and make communication that they're willing to pay, then we won't evict them. We really try to not evict people just because it ruins their rental history. And it makes our life harder too, because we have court costs and all that stuff that goes with that. So a lot of times we will just approach them ahead of time and be like, Hey, what will it take for you to leave? the home in good shape, kind of like a cash for keys type of thing. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at eight properties, 500 spaces, you don't have to necessarily name names of the community, but which community is the most challenging or or maybe not even say which one, because I don't want you to get in trouble, but what are some things that make a certain community more challenging than others? I think it really all starts with the manager. Every market is different, and that really determines your tenant base as well. Like we have some Hispanic communities that are different than the other communities that we have 10 miles down the road. Every market is different and every community is different. And then the manager really is the key. And if the manager is not or does not want to do a good job, you'll know very quickly and then therefore things could get out of hand at the property. And then therefore people may not pay, people may not take care of their yards, they may not do the number of things that you need to do to run a good community. And some of the biggest problems I've had is with the manager. But once you get the right manager in there, the community definitely goes in the right place because they're the voice that is coming from you to them. And they're transitioning a lot of the messages that we are either maybe emailing or sending out via newsletters or whatever else to the residents. And the manager really is the person telling the story. And if the manager wants the community to be a great place, it'll become a great place. If they don't, it won't be. It's also the asset manager's my responsibility to step in at times and handle those situations if we need to. What are some ways you add value to the community to increase your profitability? Some ways that aesthetically or just from a pure numbers level. So um, I can kind of, I'll talk, I'll talk both, to it. Both, I guess. Yeah. So both. One, we normally improve the actual home. Sometimes we'll buy properties that are really, have really bad homes, bad roads, bad infrastructure. So we go in, we fix all that. Of course, we have to stay on budget. So we'll pave the roads, fix the homes, bring in used homes, fix those up. If somebody can't afford to do something, like maybe it's paint their house or fix their siding or fix their skirting, We'll do that for them. Obviously, we will build them back. So over time, 
the aesthetics that enhances the lives of the tenants and it makes it a little bit more profitable because people actually want to live there. And then we also go in, if there's water and sewer issues, we fix the leaks and then we submeter the water and sewer. So we will then bill back for the tenants for their usage, which not only helps the environment out because then we're able to track usage from both the property level and then a individual level. And then we bill them every month. So therefore, we roughly hit about anywhere from 70 to 90% of our overall water bill that we get by submetering. So that's how we increase profitability because we reduce our expenses from the water and sewer, which is probably the number one biggest expense when it comes to running a property. Is that usually not done when you take over a community? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. The city may have one master meter at the front of the park or somewhere in the park, and then the park owner gets the bill. So we'll go in and we'll submeter all the homes. We'll put a meter right under the water where it enters the home, and then we'll be able to track that usage based on what goes in and what goes out. And then we have all the different calculations that goes into it based on whatever the county bills us by. That's a little bit above me in terms of how that calculation is. I just know there's mass stuff that goes into it. And even though I have a finance background, it's a little bit complicated because it depends on the property and the billing rate. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Based on my experience, my best ever advice is really just position yourself for an opportunity, even if that opportunity isn't there yet. Because Mm. I think I've placed myself in that kind of opportunity just based on the fact that I have been educated, been looking at properties and been doing all these separate things. And that's how I kind of got into the position of being the director of operations for Buckeye and also purchasing my own community because self-education and just talking with other investors. That is a, a perfect piece of advice based on what I know about you. Because as you mentioned, you attended the meetup in Cincinnati when you lived in Cincinnati and you attended for two years, right? Every month or almost every month. And you were there regularly. And we all go around the room and you say, well, I'm looking for a mobile home park. I'm looking for a mobile home park. (laughs) And there were a couple (laughs) months after I heard that after 12 times in a row, I was like, ever think of branching out into something else? Like, nope, looking for a mobile home park. (laughs) And here's what I'm doing. You're hitting the pavement and you're getting after it but you hadn't found anything. And it took you how long to get in that first deal? To actually purchase and close a contract, it took me three years, basically. Yeah. To a year of really self-education. And I think that's when I started coming to the meetup there in Cincinnati, which is a great meetup, by the way. Anybody if they're in Cincinnati, reach out to Joe or look at his website. And it's the best ever meetup, I think, yeah. right? Don't, that's don't, what it's called, Joe. Don't reach out to me asking for it. Go to bestevercincy.com, bestevercincy.com. Okay, got it. Yeah, so it's been a long road. And I always used to tell other people I was a mobile home park investor before I actually even owned anything. I was so happy to hear that. And then now you're off and running and there's so much momentum behind what you're doing because you were living and breathing that advice by placing yourself in a position leading up to that. And now you're even doing that 10 times more since you're working at a company and doing asset management. So you went all in. I love seeing that. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, I am. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Wouldn't it be nice to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial real estate buildings for as little as $500? Now you can with Building Bits. 
Building Bits is a new platform where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available only for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of the current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever book you've recently read? Capital Games by Chip Games. Is that the TV show person? Yeah, it was actually better than I thought. Somebody got it for me for Christmas. It was a really light and funny read and kind of dove into his background and how they got to where they are and better than I anticipated. So if you need a light read or you're at Target, pick it up. Best ever deal you've done? Probably the ones I didn't buy because like you said, I was doing it for a long time without actually ever buying anything. And I was looking at two properties that were a little bit too small and too far away from me. And they probably would have been a time suck and would not have made me any money or it would have kept me smaller, not being able to scale, kind of like I have gone all in like I am. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Well, since I've only really done one transaction, I guess the mistake was not buying more sooner because the wave in mobile home parks is, it's becoming, I guess you could say institutionalized and there's a lot of competition now for not a lot of inventory. So I should have started sooner. What's the best of a way you like to give back? I'm active on bigger pockets and other forums. People reach out to me from time to time, and I'll take an hour or more talking with them and helping them learn the business, learn how to analyze a deal, just given my background, help them pick it apart. And then also, I also like to volunteer at animal shelters. I actually used to be on the board of directors at Animal Adoption Foundation in Ross, Ohio. Now that I've moved, I'm no longer in that, and I enjoy just talking to people whenever I can about mobile home parks and also helping cats and dogs that are in need. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? You can find me at themobilehomeparkinvestor.com. And you can also check out my company's website at buckeyecommunities.com. And you can also email me at ryan.groene55 at gmail.com. Ryan, enjoyed our conversation. Nice work on that 75 space community. And thank you for sharing the lessons that you've learned, how important it is to have the right manager and some ways that you add value to the communities. You help improve each of the mobile homes and the utility bill back is a big piece of the puzzle too. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it, Joe. Have a good day. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. 
And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.